Well, listeners, you are listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit with me, Mark Penrith, your host. I always enjoy being with you on a Friday morning. Thank you so much for choosing to join us. So whether you are currently um, hanging up the washing with the radio going on in the background, in your car live streaming um, with on your hands-free kit, <laughs> um, or sitting at your desk and, uh, and listening to a stream or watching video, it is good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I do want to give a shout out to those who have engaged with us over the last couple of minutes since we started. I see ZL, I see Lance, I see you, um, uh, Alugu, I see you, Nikki Luff. Good morning, Mark. I'm listening in. Great to have you with us. I see Liz LaRue. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Liz. Mavis Anderson says, Great morning, Pastor Mark. We thank God for your healing. Amen. You can actually pray a little bit more, Mavis. Um, I'm not completely well. Even sitting here right now talking, I've got a little catch in my throat that I'm going to need to go and sort out a little bit later. I'll have the technician standing by to bring you a song um, at some stage um, when I go and get some cold water in order to soothe my throat. Um, And just a a follow up um, from Mavis regarding the book. Mavis, Please, please, please. I, in fact, I've got your WhatsApp details now and I have highlighted. Um, I did not, I think, have an address for you. Thank you so much. Your question was, did Jesus love John and does John and does Jesus love me? It was such a great question that you asked. I really want to get that book to you. Uh, maybe just a shout out to those others who I didn't have an address from um, that included uh, John and Teresa. Just send in an address for me, please, guys. Mavis, thank you for the reminder tinker says a good morning to you mark i am as always listening in from a beautiful sunny robinson you see you're just bragging now tinker um uh, we have no doubt that robinson is one of the jewels of south africa llewellyn linden says anything pastor mark llewellyn it is good to be with you you keep on posting pictures of the book i don't have a copy of the book i can't read the book it's very difficult um to engage with you on the book um maybe you and i should make an arrangement to meet and we can uh, you can pass the book over to me I, i'll i'll put it on my reading list uh francis stradham says good morning i'm listening in from Allowell north francis uh thank you so much uh for dropping the note i think I think this is the first person from Allowell North um, who I've uh, listened, uh, who, who I've seen uh, come in. So greetings to you and to everyone in that neck of the woods. Marlene Brits says, good morning, Mark. I'm listening on DSTV. I see here we have uh, Ishwa who says, I trust all is well and concerning the teaching of election. I've studied it and although it looks on face value correct, it just did not set, set well with me. I tried and tried to believe it, but the spirit in me will not allow it because it dawned on me that if this is correct, then God becomes the biggest hypocrite because he is the one who created some to go to hell and some to go to heaven. Also, 
why have a false judgment? In other words, why judge someone when you already predestined them to go to hell? Is that not just hypocrisy at its highest? Also, this teaching cuts against John 3.16 and 17 and many other scriptures such as Revelation 20.15. But I am a believer saved because I believed, confessed God is good. Ishwa, we are going to make that the first question of the morning. I'm going to just uh, greet a couple of other people who have posted greetings and we will get back to that. A question on election so well framed. Thank you so much for sending it in. Even as we talk about it, Ishwa, I do encourage encourage you to continue to sharpen your pencil and send through clarification questions thank you so much um i did say marlene brits llewellyn linden says if there is 80 percent christians in south africa how come are we not praying and giving the problem to almighty god llewellyn can i say amen to that um a i think the stat is wrong i think 80 percent of south africans claim to be christian but in reality jesus says a tree is known by its for a root <laughs> that is correct a tree is known by its fruit what do apple trees um kind of give us oranges no do orange trees give us apples no um do thorn trees give nice tasting fruit well the answer is obviously no Llewellyn I think as we look at South Africa maybe 80% of people claim to be Christian but we live in a country which certainly is not and I would say that probably means that the statistic is incorrect uh, Santi de Beer says mach aber vader jou spoedig aanraak thank you so much Santi appreciate your um, your prayers um, I really do um, Marlene says Pretoria praise the Lord for Pretorians uh, Pretorians Pretorians that kind of sounds like a, a Greek fighting force I like the sound of that um, praise the Lord for folk from Pretoria nice to have you with us um, and I see there are comments from Delian from Ida as well as from Ashish and so thank you guys every single one of you who have commented so far you might have listened to all of that and said, I want to comment too. How do I go about doing it? Well, the answer is simple. If you are listening on Facebook right now, you can drop a comment into the Facebook comments that is on the pages Radio Pulpit, Radio Console. Um, I'll see it right here in studio. If you comment on Pastor Mark Penrith or on Central Baptist Church Pretoria, where this has been streamed as well, I will pick those up uh, afterwards and engage with you after the show. If you would like to send a voice note in or a question in via um, WhatsApp, Ishwa is an example of a person who sent a question in via WhatsApp. You can do so using the following me mechanism. The telephone number is 082-657-2729. And you know, each week I say WhatsApp and Telegram, but I'm not aware that I ever get any Telegrams. If you are out there and you're on Telegram, don't you want to just pop me a heart so I know that the, the system even works? It'll be great to know and have confidence and carry on saying that. If no one says hi on Telegram this week, I'm probably going to drop Telegram from that conversation because everything comes in via WhatsApp right now. Um, and if you are twit on Twitter um, at 657am, I don't think I've had a tweet in a year. Easy. If you are on Twitter right now, drop a tweet. It would be great to see the engagement and the interaction if it comes through on my dashboard. Folk, uh, let's go to Ishwa's question. Let's work through it nice and carefully. Ishwa says, I trust all is well. And concerning the teaching of election, I've studied it. And although it looks on face value correct, it just did not set with me. 
I tried and tried to believe it, but the spirit in me will not allow it because it dawned on me that if this is correct, then God becomes the biggest hypocrite. Now, I'm just going to hit the pause button there and go to the end of the um, the message, which says... I'm a believer saved because I believed, confessed God is good. And there's two thumbs up. Ishwa, thanks so much for the question. And I just want to confirm and affirm that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We are saved by Jesus Christ. The object of our faith is a person. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, his death and his resurrection. That's how we're saved. And so when it comes to theology, um, when it comes to all kinds of theology, let's talk about maybe eschatology the theology of the last times you might have two believers sitting in chairs opposite one another the one is a and this is a technical kind of framework uh, framework a pre-trib pre-millennialist and the other is an amillennialist and uh, they can talk till the cows come home on the theology but in reality when it comes to salvation they're not saved by good theology they're not saved because they're right or wrong on the understanding of eschatology Um, they're saved because they've placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior well when it comes to other areas of theology much the same if we had to take maybe let's say the doctrine of the church ecclesiology um, you can have sitting in the chair on the one side an Anglican and sitting on the chair on the other side a Baptist uh, give you examples uh, Anglicans, great Anglicans, Anglicans that I think are the bee's knees, um, J.R. Packer or J.C. Ryle or John Stott um, or C.S. Lewis. Uh, I mean, the list can go on. It's a it's a long list of awesome Anglicans sitting on the couch on the one side of the room. On the other side of the room, um, Baptists of different stripes. Um, let's go with the Reformed Baptist, uh, uh, a uh, um, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, you could go with other Baptists or Baptistic people uh, on the other couch. Uh, they can talk till the cows come home in terms of what a bishop is and how church governance works. Is the congregational principle right or wrong? How does government, you know, church? How do decisions in a church in a local church? How should they be made? Uh, they can talk about that till the cows come home. But the bottom line is on both couches people are only saved by faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in his death as a sacrifice for sins in his resurrection um, in victory over the grave and in the fact that uh, that uh, uh, he has called upon all men to repent for the forgiveness of sins those on either couch who have done that are saved Um, So let's go now to the doctrine of salvation, which is technically called soteriology. Um, On the one couch will be Arminians. On the other couch would be what we call Calvinists. Um, The Arminians, great Arminians on the Arminian couch. Arminians such as John and Charles Wesley. Man, could Charles Wesley write a tune? That guy has to be, in terms of historic hymn writers right up there I mean just a God glorifying gift to the church he's an Arminian Um, you know on the other couch we'll put a Calvinist hymn writer Isaac Watts Um, uh, both men glorify I mean Isaac Watts was kind of the originator of the modern and what we now would call traditional hymn writing genre Um, Isaac Watts what a 
glorifying gift to the church. And both of them dis- differ in terms of their understanding of soteriology, the understanding of how people are saved. And yet, both of them love Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. On the Arminian couch, you could put a, a wonderful author such as A.W. Tozer. I mean, A.W. Tozer, yeah, the, the mystic of his age, just an absolute... It was almost like he, he could read the culture around him and respond with biblian influence and, uh, and, and speech uh, in ways which just invigorated the people around him. An absolute glorious author. Put him on the Arminian couch because whilst he is loved by many Calvinists, um, A.W. Tozer was an Arminian. Um, and on the, Calvin, on the Calvinist couch you could put Jonathan Edwards, like the philosopher par excellence, the, 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 the man whom God chose as the instrument to ignite, and I'm going to go with the first great awakening, it might have been the second great awakening, but in any, in any event, a Calvinist on the Calvinist couch and an Arminian on the Arminian couch, they can talk about soteriology until the cows come home. The bottom line is they are still saved by this fact. Those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. They have declared with their mouth that he is a Lord and believe in their heart that he has risen from the grave. They have, they have called upon the name of the Lord, believed in his death and in his resurrection. Those will be saved and those will be Christian. And so Ishwa Although we might differ in terms of uh, election and how election gets put together, I, I want to encourage you and say I, I don't necessarily believe that just because you differ with me, uh, you're not a believer. And I do think even the conversation, the engagement, the interaction is worth having. And so uh, thank you very much for raising it. Now, you gave us a couple of texts. And so I want us to be kind of biblene and uh, engage on scripture. And so we're going to start off by going to John chapter 3 and looking at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. I mean, it is just such beautiful, confirmatory, wonderful language when we read of God's love for the world. It is is a verse which has captured the hearts and the minds of believers throughout all ages because indeed it's it's words that sit on the lips of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ which, which makes it which makes it doubly beautiful because it has beauty even because he said it. But but it has beauty because it, it resonates in our hearts and it gives us great hope that God had a love for the world and that God gave his son and that whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, should not perish. Now, as we look at that text, the, the, the text has been quoted in the context of election in the context of election and uh, I'm going to read the rest of uh, Ishwa's question again just so that we have an idea of what election is right in front of us before we start engaging in it Ishwa says 
I don't want God to be a hypocrite or um, it's incorrect or God becomes a hypocrite because he's the one who created some to go to hell and some to go to heaven. Also, why have a false judgment in other words? Why judge someone when you already predestined them to go to hell? Is that not hypocrisy at its highest? Also, this teaching cuts against John 3:16 and 17 and many other scriptures such as Revelation 20 verse 15. So uh, there you have in the, in the nuts the uh, in the nuts and the bolts of it the um the 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 question that Ishwa is asking. Um I, I want to just frame out and and give a definition or at least a conversation as to as to what we're talking about when we talk about election. Election is a time when people choose um what they want uh, i'm 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 reading a i'm, I'm reading a definition I, I got the wrong definition i'm i'm sorry I, I typed in the wrong thing and pulled up the wrong item um let me go let me go back and say election is a phrase that is used to summarize what the bible teaches about the predestination or the election of people for salvation so the idea of elect, you can think of words that are related to elect, um, election, uh, so selection um, or choosing, those kinds of words would be words within a similar semantic domain. When we think of election, we're thinking of God choosing. When we think of election, we're thinking of God selecting. And very importantly, when we think of election, or when I talk about election in any event, I'm talking about an action which God does even before the creation of the world. Now, where on earth might you get that sort of idea from? Ishwa, I'm going to say you can get that idea from uh, Ephesians chapter 1 from John, uh, the Gospel of John, since you've cited the Gospel of John, and in particular John chapter 6, we'll go and take a look at that shortly. Uh, you can see this idea of election very clearly stated. I, I've been reading Romans chapter 8 recently. Romans chapter 8 obviously bleeds into Romans chapter 9, and uh, we're going to take a look at a couple of um, uh, passages there, um, just so that we can uh, at least put a, a few passages on the table so that we understand the definition, or we understand what election, why this is an issue, why this is a biblical issue. It's because the Bible speaks about it. So if we had to start with uh, Ephesians chapter 1, um, in Ephesians chapter 1 we have this idea of choose right at the beginning of the chapter. And the chapter opens with Paul's common greeting, um, Paul an apostle of Christ by Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The sentence carries on. It goes on to say that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
And in him we have the redemption through his blood. I'm just reading because this is such a beautiful passage. In him we have the redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth uh, the passage goes on the the whole of chapter one of ephesians is just glorious and um, in fact one of my favorite modern day hymns is a, a hymn written i'm fairly certain by bob Coughlin. Uh, you can find it on sovereign grace and it's to the praise of his glory i, I I'm, I'm just hearing the the resounding echoes of that song in my head at the moment to the praise of his glory to the the praise of his glory and grace it's just such a a swelling idea that paul opens the letter of ephesians up with now draw special attention to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 because that's where I really think the, the rubber hits the road in terms of the conversation that we're having right now, Yeshua. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he. And as you go through Ephesians, you will note the personal pronouns God has pronouns. The personal pronouns for God, he and him, are repeated over and over and over again. Paul wants you, Ishwa, to know that you know that you know that God is intricately involved in the glory of God in Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, he says, even as he chose, he chose, God chose, God elected, God selected god chose who did he choose who was the the object of his choosing us in him when did he choose before the foundation of the world why did he choose that we should be holy and blameless before him another personal pronoun for god and just in case you I'm wondering as to whether or not this selection, this election, this choosing was actually before the the foundation of the world. Um, he goes on in verse 5 to use that kind of language again. He predestined us. He predestined us. Who, who decided uh, that I would be adopted, Mark, um, by Almighty God, be a child of God? Who has the power... Um, to make dead men alive who has the plan because Ephesians chapter 1 is all about a plan who, who planned all this out well the answer is in the text over and over and over again like a train track just being repeated again and again and again it's God <laughs> all the glory for the salvation of little pipsqueak Mark <laughs> who is a wretch by nature and who cries out even like a worm like as in Romans chapter 8 or chapter 7 at the end of chapter 7 wretched man that I am who shall save me from this body of death the answer is it's God God's going to save me from this body of death that gets made clear in Ephesians chapter 2 but really as we read this text we read of election we read of election we read of choosing and we read of this happening before the foundation of the world and so the reason why this is a question in Ishwa's mind and in many people's minds at all is because it's in the Bible and the Bible forces us therefore 
to deal with the question to one degree or another. Ishwa, because you brought up John chapter 3, I, I do want to point our attention uh, and remain in John's gospel. So John chapter 6, I think, is just a absolutely fantastic chapter. Um, it's a chapter where Jesus has just um, fed 5,000 people with loaves and fishes. He, he, has, he has declared his power over creation with a creation miracle which is second to none. Jesus can truly say, I am the bread of life. Um, not so much because he feeds people and fills their stomach, but because Jesus can feed your soul. He is that amazing. And in John chapter 6, as Jesus is speaking, um, the crowd actually wants to come and make him king. They they want to they want to force Jesus to be their king, not because they think he's incredible in the same way that I think he's incredible. I think he's incredible because I think he's God, because I think he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, because I think he is amazing and beautiful and splendorous. No, they want to make him king because they want their bellies filled. They think he has pragmatic solutions to their temporary problems they've got romans over them they want those guys out and so they want jesus in um they don't want him as lord of lords like lord with a capital l like a yahweh kind of lord a god kind of lord no they just want him as a petty king like a like a herod or or a a pontius Pilate, a a ruler for a time that can just kick out the other rulers and make life a little bit easier for them and so Jesus begins to engage them in a very long discourse in chapter 6. In actual fact, if you've spent any time in chapter 6, you realize the the chapter is incredibly, uh, I mean, it's weighty. It's a a long conversation that Jesus has with the people that have come to him and then in particular through them and later with specifically his disciples at the end of the chapter. Well, nestled in the middle of this discourse of Jesus as he is saying um, uh, things like uh, you need to um, you don't need a sign you don't need um, you don't need bread but you need bread from heaven and I am that bread from heaven Um, and uh, Jesus says in verse 35 I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger whoever believes in me shall never thirst I mean Jesus is handing is putting salvation before them uh, he, he, he is offering salvation to them. He, he is giving them every reason to look upon him and live. Jesus is doing everything which is necessary in order for them to hear everything that they need to hear in order to have a full revelation of the the urgency for their souls to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Here's a key verse, verse 39 of John chapter 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and i will 
I will. It's as safe as houses. I will raise him up on the last day. I get excited when I hear Jesus saying these kinds of words. I get excited for this. There is a universal offer of salvation to the people that are in front of him. Jesus Christ makes a universal offer of salvation to them. And I think as preachers, friends, we need to hear that in our pulpits often, that all men everywhere are called upon to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. And yet, when it comes to salvation, Jesus has a as safe as houses approach to who will be saved. It'll be those that the Father gives him. And he also has a safe as houses approach to those who will stay saved. He says, all that the Father give, give me, I will keep. I will raise them up on the last day. In other words, how do you get saved? You get saved because the Father gives you to the Son. How do you stay saved? You stay saved because the Son keeps you saved. You are in the palm of Jesus Christ and the Father has his hands wrapped around his Son's hand. You are as safe, as safe as houses. Uh, there's many other passages uh, in this text. Um, it would be difficult um, to go through all of them. But verse 46, um, uh, did I say verse 46? I meant verse 44 uh, might be helpful. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's a repeat of what we have just said. In actual fact, Jesus lays it on very thick uh, in John chapter 6, Ishwa. I'd encourage you to go and take a look at that whole chapter. You get to the end of the chapter, and there's, there's one other detail in John chapter 6, which is important, because Jesus then turns his attention at the end of the chapter to his disciples, because we, we beca it becomes very clear that not all the people that are there follow Jesus. In actual fact, many people start leaving Jesus because he said that you must eat of my body and drink of my blood. They don't understand that. They think it's weird. And so they start to leave Jesus in droves in John chapter 6. And you might think, well, well, that's it. That's the end of his ministry. And more importantly, for those of you who know how the story ends, you know, amongst Jesus' disciples, there are 11 that will stay true. And there is one that is a false disciple, a traitor, Judas Iscariot. And you might be thinking, well, this is all very rich, that you're as safe as houses if you're in the hand of Jesus Christ. But what about Jesus, Judas? He didn't seem very safe, and yet he was a disciple, wasn't he? Well, that's addressed at the end of John chapter 6. It says in John chapter 6, verse 60, when many of these disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. 
maybe just to end off in the words of Christ or in, in the, the application of chapter 6? How, how, how then are we as believers to respond to all of this information that Jesus, that God ultimately saves, that Jesus ultimately keeps, that Jesus knew who weren't actual disciples, who were false disciples and who would fall away? Um, how, how are we to respond to this? Well, in verse 66, after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, uh, Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, when it comes to theology, even deep theology, sometimes we figure things out. Sometimes we're still trying to figure things out in God's word. But ultimately, when we hear the words of Jesus Christ, when we hear of his death and of his resurrection, when we are clear that Jesus is the Son of God and that salvation can be found in him alone, the right response to this is to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ that we might live. Well, I am being cued for a song by a very attentive technician. So thank you very much, Vissi, for that. Um, and my throat is killing me. So I'm going to go get some water. But Ishwa, there still is the matter of John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I think that your question is very well framed. And so we are going to get to John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 straight after a song break. And I'm looking at the songs I think. I think that the song that we're about to hear is Come Bless the Lord by Kachotso. Um, I will be with you for the second hour of the show shortly. May the Lord bless you. It is good to be back with you on Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit. You are with Mark Penrith this uh, morning. Uh, table talk with Mark. I enjoy being with you each Friday. I enjoy your questions. I enjoy your uh, your engagements and your interactions. Um, thank you so much for so many people who have been commenting as we have been going through. John Thompson says, is Table Talk live this morning? John, I'm going to assume that you have been hitting the phone uh, vigorously over the last while. I'm so sorry that there's no one there to answer it. I hear it going off in the background, um, but I can't answer it because it's on the other side of a whole lot of technical mumbo jumbo and uh, the technician is off site today. And so unfortunately you can't phone in. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, But John, you are able to send in voice notes and you are able to send in um, questions via WhatsApp. I see you have come in via WhatsApp. I would encourage you to do so. Uh, Thank you so much for long-time listener and friend, Glenn Williams, who is from Makanyo Theological College. He has been sending in a number of very weighty responses. Um, And so, uh, Glenn, I just want to honor you and say thank you so much uh, for the engagements. Uh, Friends, I see a lot of people are commenting on Facebook right now. Um, I'm seeing... uh, uh, Sanya, I am seeing a comment from Glenn Wilkin. Uh, that is very sweet. Good morning, Pastor Mark. Uh, God heal, Pastor Mark. Thank you for being you. Thank you, man of God. Glenn, that's like 
Really cool. Thank you so much. And uh, you also have a comment. I'm listening to you. Very, very interesting. Uh, really appreciate your interaction and your encouragement. Penny, long time listener. And someone whom I have met in person. She goes to a very good church, actually just down the road uh, from Radio Pulpit. Says, hi there, only switched on now due to load shedding. Great to be able to catch at least the last hour or so. Penny, I know it was load shedding, yeah? As I arrived, there's a massive generator in the complex. It was chugging away as I came into the building and uh, realized that there must be load shedding abroad. Um for those of you who have been engaging and interacting on WhatsApp, um, I did mention Glenn. Barbara says it's uh, so good every Friday to listen to you as you explain everything about the Bible. Thanks for a beautiful program. Pray God may touch your body to be healed completely, Barbara. Thank you so much, Barbara. I really do appreciate the, the, the prayers. You know, I was studying. Hey, guys, we're going to get to John three sixteen uh, shortly because I know that you're hanging on with tentahooks uh, to get back to that topic. But I was studying uh, Colossians chapter 4 this past week. Beautiful book. I love the book of Colossians. Um, and in chapter 4, you kind of get to the, the last couple of imperatives, the last couple of commands that Paul wants his readers to know about. Um, and that's from what, verse 2 to verse 6. And in verse 2 to 4 is the, four set, uh, the first set of commands. And really it's to pray. Paul wants you to pray for him. And Paul wants you to pray for you. And um, man, I dwelt on that that thought. I mean, we know the power of prayer. We know the doctrine of prayer. We talk about prayer so much. But as I was thinking about prayer fresh, even for myself and how it might apply to my own heart this week, I just thought of the immense um, and wonderful opportunity that we have that we don't rightly deserve in and of ourselves but that God gives us that we might speak to him I thought of the immense power that is at our disposal I mean who wouldn't want the ability to whisper in the ear of the monarch of England Charles III or you know the the, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, you know, we have the ability to have an audience with a, a king or a president and be able to whisper in their ear of your needs, your very practical needs. God invites us to do it, which is little wonder why in Colossians chapter 4, I'm fairly certain it's verse 2, it says, our prayers ought to be with thanksgiving. I don't think that it's necessarily saying that we need to give prayers of thanksgiving. My my daughter actually came to me after I, I spoke to her about Colossians chapter 4 and said, you know, Dad, isn't this that we are to pray with thanksgiving? Like, you know, we pray prayers of adoration and prayers of confession and prayers of thanksgiving and then prayers of supplication. Uh, isn't this saying that we're to to pray prayers of thanksgiving and and the answer to that is no it's a prepositional phrase with thanksgiving and so I, I think even as we pray our prayers of adoration and our prayers of confession and our prayers of supplication asking God for what we need all of that is to be woven in a basket of thanksgiving that we even get to pray at all um, and you know what? We, I mean, this is just a, a further thought and prayer. We don't just pray to God whispering in the ear of a king or whispering in the ear of a president and speaking to them as a king or as a president. No, we are invited into the presence of God as sons and daughters of the Most High. 
we're like little kids. They get to crawl up onto their parents' lap and, and while they are being cradled in the arms of their parents, make their parent aware of their needs, of their prayers and their supplications. Um, I don't just want to talk about election this uh, morning. I, I want to talk about something which may be very important to you as you're listening in. You might be facing difficulty, friend. Uh, in fact, I have no doubt that many people who are listening in are. You might be facing all kinds of trials and tribulations right now. Even as you face the 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 deep, dark shadows of this world, don't face them without going to your Father who wants to hear your prayers and who by and according to his own good will and pleasure will act even in them. Um, friend, speak to God. Speak to him. He, he desires. It pleases him. I mean, what kind of father doesn't want to hear from their child? You know, when my son in the morning comes and crawls into the bed next to me, especially when it's winter and it's still a little bit cold and hugs tight to me and tells me of his day that hasn't yet happened and, you know, what he's hoping or what he's fearing or what he's concerned about. Man, that makes my heart swell with love. Doesn't it do so uh, for yourself with your own children? Um, don't you value the opportunities that you have to speak to your own parents about the things that are pressing in your life? Well, those of you who have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, pray. Pray in the midst of the turmoils of life. Pray in the midst of the celebrations of life. Pray. Pray that you might engage and interact with Almighty God because he gives you the opportunity. And so pray with thanksgiving. Well, all of that was a side note. Let's get back to the main show. We are talking about a great question which came in from Ishwa. Um, really a great question. Um, and it was related to election. And uh, Ishwa really asked the question of election um, in relation to John 3:16 and 17, and then Revelation 20:15. And at this stage, uh, and 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 really charging that does election not ultimately make God a hypocrite? Um, and uh, could God not be charged with hypocrisy? You know, you get to, to the end of the days and there's a judgment. And guess what? The people that aren't being judged are the people that God chose. And the people that are being judged are the people that God didn't choose. Um, isn't that a little bit unfair? Um, well, Ishwa, um, maybe if that was the only the only input that we had in Scripture in terms of how all of these things work, it, it would sound a bit unfair. Uh, I would have to agree with you. Um, but the doctrine of election doesn't stand by itself. Um, those who hold to election um, do hold to the responsibility of man. Um, God gives man responsibility. He gives him commands. They're all over Scripture. They start in the first chapter. <laughs> in the first chapter, um, God makes a man and he gives him commands. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the whole earth, you know. Take dominion, Adam. Um, God says to Adam. The, the bottom line is, um, God intended for Adam to be obedient to him. Adam was responsible. We know the way that that story shakes out, that Adam wasn't responsible. Praise the Lord that even before the foundation of the world, God knew how he might save Adam and his offspring. Um, that was just kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, to add in there. But um, Ishwa, as we, as we think of Adam, we think of a man who was given commands by God. We think of a man who was charged to, 
to live in the garden and to take care of the garden, we think of a man who is told not to eat of the tree uh, of uh, the knowledge of right and wrong. Uh, and yet um, the truth is we know that Adam didn't obey. Well, in truth, God continues to give commands to humans even to this day. Um, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength Jesus says is the summary of the commands and the second is like it uh, we're to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves we are given commands that are to be obeyed and yet man who will be held responsible by God chooses willfully by his own volition not to obey those commands that's why at the end of Romans chapter 7 Paul cries out, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Um, because man is a big problem. Um, by our nature, we choose to disobey God. We have sinned and we have fallen short of God. The wages of sin is death. By our nature, we are scuppled without a hope in hell, one might say. The answer to our dilemma isn't that we are to save ourselves, to, um, to make ourselves better. The answer to our dilemma is that salvation has been provided by God in the person of Jesus Christ who went to a cross and died that we might live. Now that's the solution which God has provided. The question is, who would choose to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? The answer is no one. No one would choose that. That's made really clear in the book of Ephesians. You can go and take a look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10 in order to confirm what I'm saying. Bottom line is Paul says we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are in actual fact sons of disobedience, that we have a nature which is corrupt inside of ourselves. When you think of dead, um, you think of a, a crash scene, a person at a crash scene, a paramedic arrives and, and there's people in pain and agony all over the place. So one person's got a cut on their, on their arm and he attends to the cut and puts a plaster on. Another person's got what clearly is a broken arm and he puts the arm quickly into a sling. Another person is bleeding profusely and he organizes a blood transfusion for them. But there's a person at the scene who's dead. They're dead. What what does the paramedic do for them? Well, the paramedic doesn't have the power of life. He can't bring back the dead. That person is destined for the morgue. When God finds us, he finds us in the morgue. We are stone cold dead, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. But the great word in Ephesians chapter 2 is the little tiny conjunction. It's a joining word. But. But. God, <laughs> but God, but God who is powerful to save, but God who has the ability to save, but God who before the foundation of the world predestined, but God, God saves because God's good like that. And that's amazing. It's a joy. It's a celebration. God is good that he's good that he's good. And he has chosen, even before the foundation of the world, a God who knows the beginning from the end, a God who knew that he knew that Adam would fall, provisioned salvation so that man might be saved. God is a saving God and praise the Lord God is a choosing God because if God had not chosen me I certainly would not have chosen him 
That's what the doctrine of election is really saying. God, we love God because God first loved us. Friends, the doctrine of <laughs> my wife says, ha, 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 you sound like the guy from Wretched. Um, she's clearly listening and uh, sent me a note on uh, WhatsApp. Um, I think I got a little bit excited and my voice might be a bit graph. So maybe she thinks I sound a little bit like Todd Friel today, um, which I think is really cool. I've never been taught called Todd Friel before. Guys, there are so many um, uh, WhatsApps and comments and engagements and interactions coming through. Thank you so much for all of them. I want us to, for at least a moment, get to John chapter 3 verse 16 and just ask, well, what about John chapter 3 verse 16? Because in John chapter 3 verse 16, we read that God so loved the world. God so loved the world. I, I Pull up my my Greek and uh, it reads uh, Gothos. Uh, well, I guess I don't need to read it in Greek, but but when we get to world, it says cosmon. A uh, cosmon. Um, it's the the Greek word cosmos. It's where we get the English word cosmos from. God so loved the world that already helps us to understand that this might not be talking about what you think it's talking about because when we read that often in english we might say well so god so loved every single person for instance maybe that's what the world means and yet we have a word cosmos here (coughs) which certainly lends us to thinking that this might be talking about creation um uh, generally um uh, but the word world in actual fact could mean many different things depending on its context it it could be talking about men um it could be referring to people um but invariably it's talking about a, a harmonious arrangement or constitution the order or the government of the universe um uh, it's talking about the world the universe it's talking about the circle of the earth the earth itself and, and and at times it's talking about the inhabitants of the earth men or humanity in its entirety um but the idea here is that cosmos may very well be talking about other things as well um let me give you an example of how uh, that works in english the word bat when you hear me say bat, what's the first thing that you think of? Um, well, I think of cricket, right? A cricket bat. But if you've just recently watched, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, you might think of bat with, you know, flappy wings. Uh, <laughs> I watched that as a kid. Um, don't judge me too harshly. Um, uh, if you think of the word bat, bat, depending on its context and its use in a sentence, could mean different things well what does world mean in john chapter 3 verse 16 well as we read it it says for god so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever this is a doctrine of the whosoever um a doctrine of the whosoever will believe in him should not perish but have eternal life For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So now we've got this idea of the world experiencing salvation through the person of Jesus Christ that helps us to to come to a more narrow definition of what the world is speaking about in John chapter 3 verse 16. It's it's speaking about this this whosoever. And in actual fact, as I read this text, I I see at least the of um 
uh, of election year, although I don't actually think the text is speaking about election. I don't think this is the greatest text um, to make the doctrine of election. It's also not the greatest text to, to counter the doctrine of election because there is an element of election or selection or rather should I say a denomination and narrowing um, of the world even in this text. You've got for God loving the world on the one side and you've got uh, on the other side that the world might be saved through him. But the question is who actually gets saved and in the middle you've got a subset, a, a very small subset a whoever believes in him and so it's not talking about everybody it's talking about the whosoever which is a specific group within the context of the everybody um ishwa you have had us thinking for like a solid hour and as i read our comment thread i can see you've sent in a number of comments that i have failed to read as i have been speaking and so i'm sorry about that and i also realize that you've got work pressures and you need to get to work as well um but thank you so much for the question i I really do appreciate it and uh, i do trust that the lord is glorified in both your life as well as in my life as we continue to think through um, these issues. I want to just um, maybe Ishwa point you to a resource which my friend Glenn Williams has posted. Uh, Wayne Gridham, who is a great theologian who I agree with on a whole lot of stuff and disagree with on one or two things. Wayne Gridham handles the subject of election and reprobation which was in your question. So uh, you, the question that you asked Ishwa wasn't just about election, it was also about what we call double predestination which I didn't even touch on but reprobation well in his systematic theology in chapter 32 as well as John Frame in his systematic theology uh, Glenn, uh, uh, Glenn thank you so much for adding that in Dalin, D- Dalin, Dalin. I'm going to go with Dalin Dalin says good morning Pastor Mark P interesting spring voice um, always a joy listening and learning from you be blessed in Christ Dalen, uh, thank you so much I really appreciate that comment uh, you know what the spring voice <coughs> excuse me let me clear my throat I, I suffer from allergies, right? I'm actually, I went down to Port Elizabeth last week. I'm allergic to Port Elizabeth. Um, down there, it just goes over the top. I mean, I just absolutely melt. Um, but we had a church camp a couple of weeks ago. And at the church camp, there was this jasmine bush. It, was, it wasn't a bush. It was like a tree. It was like two stories high. It was crazy. And it was in full bloom. And we arrived on the Friday and immediately my sinuses were set off. So I couldn't sleep that night. I had little bits of tissue paper shoved up my nose just to stop the flow. It was terrible. And then on the Saturday, same story, Saturday night, battled to sleep. I was preaching on the Sunday morning and so I, I popped a whole lot of allergics. Uh, oh, let me let me not say what, what I... Uh, be careful when you self-medicate, fuck. Um, anyway, I, I took a whole lot of antihistamine and uh, it dried everything up and I preached in the morning out of John uh, out of John out of Romans chapter 4 the whole chapter man what a glorious chapter and then and then in the evening I got in my car and I drove back to Port Elizabeth I went to an old age home and, and preached an evening service there at, uh, at uh, Glen Haven oh what a 
What a wonderful crowd. Uh, uh, just a group of saints that love Jesus. I, I love being in their company. I'm always uh, astounded by their life stories. Really enjoyed it. But I woke up on Monday morning with a strep throat. And then everything went from my head into my chest. And I've just had this this wicked chest ever since. So, Dalen, thank you for noticing my spring voice. Uh, I am hoping that I'm not as allergic to the jacaranda trees as I am to other things. I have upped my my game when it comes to antihistamine I went and spoke to a doctor and got uh, something different that I'm going to be trying uh, this uh, this spring and hopefully, hopefully I'm going to make it through and I'm not allergic to Pretoria Andre says hi Pastor Mark as always excellent content today again we'll be listening to it again as uh, late as I missed certain parts of the predestination discussion blessings Andre thanks Andre always great uh, to hear uh, encouraging feedback whether you agree with me or not is immaterial um, Teresa says greetings scripture and question and uh, Teresa I'm a bit concerned because I'm only seeing two questions yeah and you are my three question guy <laughs> here's, the, here's the scripture that Teresa lays down so now let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children oh this is going to be a good one Teresa and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law now number one was Ezra right for doing this and number two if it's found out that someone divorced on grounds that are not biblical but is now married to someone else which now also makes them an adulterer should the church tell them to separate and make the man go back to his first wife and if she still wants him back um, whilst also restoring the other person who is now convicted um, for being seen as an adulterer wow Teresa that is just an absolute doozy of a question really appreciate it mate um uh, yeah excellent excellent question so uh, the book of Ezra chapter 10 and the subject of divorce I haven't I haven't studied recently I did study a number of years ago the book of um, of Ezra and I remember um, uh, I remember uh, going through this particular verse and coming to certain conclusions at the time um, I don't want to shoot off the hip and, and completely uh, miss, uh, miss, uh, um, um, uh, get get this completely wrong. Um, I'm I'm just uh, turning to the passage here um, um, and uh, trying to find your trying to find your question. Ezra ten verse three. So I've gone to I've gone to Ezra chapter ten and I'm reading from verse one. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping. And casting himself down before the house of God. Maybe just to say, we're in the middle of a revival here, folks. In Ezra chapter 10, it's like glory days. A very great assembly of men and women and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. So it starts with Ezra, one man. He is confessing his sin. He's weeping before God. And people see this. And all of a sudden, they just start to gather. And it's a, it's a very, very big assembly and they are cut to the heart they're weeping bitterly and uh shekana shekania i'm gonna go with shekania the son of jahiliel the son of elam addressed ezra we have 
broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong to do it. And then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do just as had been said. And so they took an oath. So maybe right off the bat, even as I read this, um, you might note that it's actually not Ezra speaking. Um, so I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just putting that out there, Teresa. It's it's not a biggie, but but correct the question if you ever ask it of anyone else. That would be the first thing. The second thing is there is an acknowledgement in verse two that there has been a sin committed. Now, very peculiar to Israel at this time in history was the requirement that God had given them to be separated from the nations around them. They weren't to marry into the nations around them. And the reason for this, we see this most evidently, by the way, in the life of King Solomon, is that when you marry, when you unequally yoked, in a marriage um, the belief systems and the worldview and the practices of your spouse bleed into your marriage so Solomon who started off so well you know ask me for anything Solomon I'll give it to you I want to be wise well he has all the wisdom that you will ever need how did Solomon use it well he like married like 1,700 wives and concubines I mean the the man was an absolute disaster he took wives from all the neighboring countries in order to solidify peace agreements and with his wives he got their religions and their religions bleeded into his life by the time you get to the end of Solomon's life I, I, I did a detailed two-year sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes by the time you get to the end of Solomon's life Solomon has misspent much of it turns out you can have the wisdom of Solomon and be an absolute fool when it comes to life decisions um, <coughs> excuse me be that as it may in Ezra chapter 10, we understand that a sin has been committed, that um, there's been marriages with foreigners and with peoples from the land. Um, and the big question is, well, how then can um, how then can Israel be pure? How then can Israel return um, uh, 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 turn their back on the dis the detestable practices of the Canaanites and of the Hittites and of the Perizzites and of the Jezubites and of the Amorites and of the Moabites and of the uh, Egyptians and Amorites and all those other arts. Um, how do they? How do they? How do they demonstrate repentance? Um, the marriage of people who worshipped false gods from nations who worshipped false gods was explicitly forbidden in the law of Moses uh, and in order to check that out you can go and check out Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3 and 4 and so Ezra's heart is desperately grieved at what he's seeing around him um, he's tearing his tunic he is in grave remorse um, his heart has been peaked a revival has come to him and then revival comes to the people around him they realize that what they have done has been wrong in the sight of the Lord and um, and so they come to a different 
covenant. They make a covenant. Um, they make a covenant that uh, they, that everything will be done according to the law. Um, and Israel agreed with the covenant that this was the proper course of action. Now, let me start off by saying that God hates divorce. Uh, you can read about that in Malachi chapter 2 verse 16. God hates divorce. Uh, if you're listening in right now and uh, you're in a marriage which is struggling, I would encourage you to go and seek the counsel of your pastor with great urgency. Um, uh, but according to Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 and repeated in the words of Jesus Christ, um, God hates divorce. Positively stated by Christ, what, jo- what God has joined together, let not man tear asunder. Um, but maybe note that this did happen in a different dispensation to us as New Testament believers um, in a time where God's chosen people um, were to live according to the law of Moses. Um, and then and then also uh, note that we don't have the details of how this actually worked out, recorded at least in Ezra chapter 10 uh, verse um, 1 to 3, which is what we've read. What we have is the covenant. We don't know the details of exactly what this meant and what arrangements then were made. But what I can tell you, because I'm teaching this Sunday evening from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is that God hates divorce. And for those of us who are believers, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we ought not to pursue divorce on anything else other than biblical grounds. And those biblical grounds are very clearly stated in God's word, one of which would be be uh, in the case of an adultering uh, in the case of adultery um we are freed um from that um uh, that that marriage uh, a second would be in the case of an unbeliever leaving us um abandoning us um we are freed from that marriage those would be two examples of exceptions again i think that this would be um, a, a conversation which would be well had with the elders within the context of your local church. However, Teresa's the second part of his question. Um, so the first part of the question is, was Ezra right for doing this, uh, Teresa? The answer, I believe, is yes. Um, and that is made evident uh, as the rest of the book of Ezra um, plays out. The second question is, well, what about somebody who has divorced on grounds that weren't biblical and has now gotten remarried? What about them? So... I can tell you that no two situations, uh, Teresa, are the same. So, like, I'm on, I'm on really shaky, shaky ground here because there's always a ton of realities that need to be thought through um, whenever this kind of question comes up. It it really does require the wisdom of Solomon and uh, the Bible knowledge of Paul. Um, and so that's why God gives the church elders to listen to the case and to come to ruling or judgment on that particular case, to give counsel on that particular case. And so more often than not, I think the right course of action in terms of myself is answering a Bible question live and online would would be to refer you to the local elders of your local church. They are best equipped to listen to the question with integrity. I can, however, say this. 
the institution of marriage is binding. And so if a person has divorced on grounds which were unbiblical, but has subsequently remarried, um, I can't imagine many scenarios where the present marriage would be nullified because the previous marriage was not on biblical grounds. The reality is we want to, as far as possible within the context of a fallen world, um, um, hold high the institution of marriage, which was the first institution which God gave to man. It even predates the institution of the church. Marriage is in the Garden of Eden uh, when God saw that it was not good for man to be alone and created a helper suitable to him, a companion, um, to complement him. Think complementary angles from from uh, from mathematics. And I don't know if Adam was a um, 120% and in order to get to 180% he needed a 60% and so Eve was a 60% or if Adam was a 20% and needed a 160% and so God made him an Eve a, a helper suitable for him a complement to him but the text is very clear uh, for this reason a man should leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two shall be one flesh based on the fact that this is a create creation principle it's a it's a principle of 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 which is deeply rooted at the beginning of the creative story we want to highly value the institution of marriage so that when questions like this come up we consider them gravely and and consider them of grave importance and very very carefully work through them i do think that they are best worked through in the context of your local church with your local church elders but i imagine that your local church elders are going to choose to um, uh, recognize the institution of marriage um, Gene says shame Mark and then a whole lot of emoticons uh, a sneezing nose and a, a mask and a get better soon you know Gene I, I don't think I'm con- oh, I know I'm not contagious I, I got uh, um, impact uh, uh, feedback from my from my, my doctor it's just it's these lungs that aren't working as well as they used to and so um, you know if I walk too far they they, they get uh, <laughs> they get very tired Oh boy, oh boy, we've got a big jasmine in our inner courtyard before the front door. And um, Be careful who you invite over for lunch. G- give them fair warning. Those of you with cats and those of you with jasmine bushes, always tell me before you invite me for a cup of tea so I can make sure that I'm histamined up. I do see that we have got a voice note from John Thompson. We've also got a voice note from Francis Stradham. Um, I, I'm just asking if uh, if Vusi, who is in the the tech controls in the background, he's going to tell me if we can play those voice notes. Um, uh, and I am waiting for the response. We'll check. So, uh, John and Francis, your voice notes are just being checked. And if we can play them, we will play them live on air. I'm looking forward to listening to them. There's one that's a minute and 51 seconds, one that's 35 seconds. And we've got about 10 minutes left um, before the end of the show. I'd love to get to those. Maybe uh, last comment, uh, Tinker, I'd love to read 1 Corinthians 1 as well as 1 Peter 1 together with Ephesians 1. Our God is just so amazing. Amen, Tinker. God is incredible i mean he really is when i think of the doctrine of election my mind doesn't go to is god unfair or isn't god unfair my mind goes to isn't god amazing that he planned all this i mean i look at creation and i'm almost overwhelmed 
not almost overwhelmed, I am overwhelmed by the creativity of God. You know, the splendor of colors and sights and sounds. It's just, it's incredible. I, I saw a I saw a clip on uh, on on Twitter yesterday of, of uh, it started off with a guy. He's just standing in the street, and then it starts to zoom out, and it goes from the street to the city, and then from the city to the country, and then from the country to the continent, and then from the continent to the whole globe, and it just keeps on going out from the globe. You just see Earth like a blue marble suspended on a on a dark velvet canvas starts to go out, and it goes out further and further and further until Earth becomes just a little dot, and then eventually whizzing past you goes a planet Uh, and then a little bit later the dot is going into nothing coming past you goes through a um uh, the sun and then from the sun it goes it expands out to the solar system and then from the solar system to our galaxy and then it, it pulls out of the milky way and the milky way becomes one dot amongst many dots galaxies and it it, it just be, i mean it's it's just a m- immense creation is immense when i think of creation i'm undone by how big god is when i think of election i'm undone by how loving god is that he would choose to send his son to die for me even before the foundation of the world before i'd done anything right or wrong (laughs) i'm thinking of um i'm thinking of jacob and esau now before i'd even done anything right or wrong god chose that mark would be saved i love god he is so good he's so good even to me I'm going to hit the play button and let's see what happens, John. Good morning, Pastor Mark. Thank you for the awesome show. As usual, I'll jump straight to the question. And it has to do with uh, a fellow brother in Christ, someone that loves the Lord, that is living in uh, intentional sin. What I mean by that is that this person knows the truth. They know He knows the Word of God, uh, yet he's living in intentional sin. Basically, it's he's a... Uh, a pastor, a father, a husband that has left his wife and four children and is living with another woman. Um, Now, my question is, uh, we know that in Scripture, Paul addresses this issue of uh, intentional or habitual sin and for the church to cast, uh, I think it's in Corinthians, where he says, cast them out from among you so that uh, they may come to realize the error of their ways in order that they may return. So the way I understand that is that um, if if a fellow brother in Christ knows the truth yet he's living in intentional sin is to cast them out from among you. So it's, in this situation, it's a it's a it's a relative. So number one, yes, we understand that we need to fight for his soul and we were praying for him and we will never close the door on him but then there's the other part where you know he's destroying his family and and he's just causing heartache and trouble and that's the, the side of uh, the side that the family wants nothing to do with him so it's quite a it's quite a challenging situation what is your advice in this situation do we cut him off as a family until he repents and comes comes back and asks for forgiveness and, and the restoration process to take place or do we just sort of carry on loving him while he's living in sin it's a, it's a very difficult one so I, I really appreciate any sort of uh, feedback you'd have for me thank you so much wow john um thanks for asking the question even asking the question in this format in the way that you did i i certainly do appreciate it and maybe just to start by saying my heart really goes out to you um I, i've experienced divorce in terms of people that are close to me 
and uh, it certainly causes great pain, not just for the people that are involved, but for other family members, for uncles and aunts and cousins and sisters and brothers. Everybody feels the reality of divorce. Divorce is it's upside down, and in a fallen world, it just demonstrates both how wicked we are and how wretched the environment that we live in is. So maybe just to start by saying John I'm 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 sorry to hear of the situation that you find yourself in. Uh second to say um John our sin has uh, John, John yeah John our sin has consequences. Our sin does have consequences r- real consequences. Um you think of um uh, uh David's sin uh, in terms of uh, sleeping with Bathsheba and the the consequences uh, of of that of that relationship um, were not immediate, but they were so harsh um, as we read the consequences of that sin. You think of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in, in Acts chapter 6 as they lie to the Holy Spirit. Did I say Acts chapter 6? I think I should have said Acts chapter 5. As they lie to the Holy Spirit, the reality is sin bears consequences. We see that all over in Scripture. You can make that point in Hebrews chapter 12. You can make it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Sin bears consequences and the sin of those around us bears consequences too let me give you an example so for example um my daughter takes out the car <clears throat> i'm not saying that this is true to life but my daughter takes out the car and she bumps it and then she doesn't tell me about it but instead finds paint of a similar color to my vehicle and paints the bump in hoping that dad won't realize it well you know I mean, obviously, I'm going to say, well, you can't take out my car anymore, you know, or at least you can't take out my car for a month, even though that's not to her benefit. And sometimes it's not even to my benefit because I don't want her to be driving. I want her to be cognizant that sin bears consequence and it bears relational consequence. I can't believe that you didn't just tell me that you try to cover this up. Um, Sin bears consequence. And it doesn't surprise me that you're trying to work out what kind of consequence sin bears in terms of your relationship let me let me be clear I'd, I'd be very careful to go straight from church discipline to how do we apply church discipline within the family con- uh, uh, within the family concept uh, I'll tell you why church discipline is when a church which previously basically gave a seal of approval on a person's salvation testimony publicly withdraws that seal of approval as a final step of church discipline. They say we can no longer affirm that that person is even a believer because of the fruit of their life, the way that they are living in unrepentant sin. That's church discipline. Within the context of um, a family, um, uh, we can certainly do the same. We can say we can no longer affirm that this person is a believer um, because of the way that they are living. In fact, we certainly should do that and we should treat them, I guess, according to the words given to us by Jesus Christ as he lays out church discipline in the book of Matthew chapter 18. Um, we should treat them as an unbeliever. By the way, just in terms of what that treating looks like, um, we evangelize unbelievers. We speak to them about Jesus at every possible opportunity that we get. Um, so I, I don't think kick them out the house or um, you know um, uh, cross cross to the other side of the street if you if you see them coming. I, I don't think that's the intention. It's just understand that you're no longer going to treat them as a believer. You're not going to treat them as an unbeliever. You're going to evangelize them rather than seek their counsel uh, and read the scripture with the intention of them teaching you something by way of example 
In terms of family, often when it comes to church discipline, this question comes up, you know, my child is under church discipline, how should I treat them? Or my mother or my father is under church discipline, how should I treat them? I'm still in the house. (laughs) You know, what happens? I think it's important to note that um, a person who's under church discipline at a local church doesn't stop being a father or a mother and um, and enjoying those roles and even the benefits that those roles um, convey. And so um, I, I do think maybe just recognize that you aren't the church and some of the 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 passages which relate to church discipline as it is implied in a local church, a community of believers, um, doesn't apply directly to yourself in terms of, okay, well, we're not going to do this. We're, we're going to delete your name from our contact list and uh, and never phone you again. Christmas dinner, you don't crack an invite or whatever it might be. However, some sin bears greater consequence than other sins. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for an example other than the one that I have in my head right now. Um, but, but it might well be that, um, that, that your relationship changes by virtue of the way that this person is living their lives. Um, you know, uh, you, you're, the, the way that you engage with them changes as a natural consequence of the fact that they are living in unrepentant sin. And so, um, John, I would approach this very carefully. I would approach this with great wisdom. I think I would probably, just because I know that you're a thinking man, I would probably encourage you to go and speak um, to your pastor and get some direct counsel um, from your pastor as well. Um, and be very careful uh, in terms of how you go about this. Francis, I see your question. I know that it's about Esther. I'm going to have to ask it next week. I'm so sorry. We have run out of time this morning. And I do want to thank you guys for being so interactive, uh, so engaged today. I really appreciate um, uh, the comments. Lester, I see that. Uh, Ursula, I see that. Uh, Stefani, I see that. Uh, Lester, again, uh, and for others, uh, for Marcella and for Karina and uh, for those of you who have commented uh, in the last while. I'm so sorry I haven't gotten around to your questions. I am looking forward to engaging with you next week. Really, each week our prayers do go out and by our prayers go out, I mean, I'm going to pray for these things after the show, for all the elders and deacons who hold lines in local churches, as well as for our missionaries sent out from South African churches serving in foreign fields abroad. Our prayers and much respect always goes out to first responders, to our police, to our defense force, to all of those who dispense justice in our country. Uh, I'm thinking of firefighters and paramedics and nurses and medical personnel, uh, educators, teachers, and for uh, correctional service officers. You have been listening to Table Talk with me, your host. We are going to be going to news shortly. And so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously as the Soweto String Quartet gives us. Oh, happy day. Amen.